Chapter Fifteen of Flower of the North. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Flower of the North by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter Fifteen. Not until the silken flap of the tent had fallen behind Jeanne did power of movement and speech return to Philip. He called her name and straggled to a sitting posture. Then he staggered to his feet. He could scarcely stand. Shooting pains passed like flashes of electricity through his body. His right arm was numb and stiff, and he found that it was thickly bandaged. His head ached. His legs could hardly support him. He went to raise his left hand to his head, but stopped it in front of him, while a slow smile of understanding crept over his face. It was swollen and covered with livid bruises. He wondered if his body looked that way, and sank down exhausted upon his balsam bed. A minute later Pierre returned with a cup of broth in his hand. Philip looked at him with less feverish eyes now. There was an unaccountable change in the half-breed's appearance, as there had been in Jean's. His face seemed thinner. There was a deep gloom in his eyes, a dejected droop to his shoulders. Philip accepted the broth and drank it slowly without speaking. He felt strengthened. Then he looked steadily at Pierre. The old pride had fallen from Pierre like a mask. His eyes dropped under Philip's gaze. Philip held up a hand. "'Pierre!' The half-breed grasped it and waited. His lips tightened. "'What is the matter?' demanded Philip. What has happened to Jeanne? You say she was not hurt. By the rocks, monsieur, interrupted Pierre quickly, kneeling beside Philip. Listen, it is best that I tell you. You are a man. You will understand without being told all. From Churchill I brought news which it was necessary for me to tell Jeanne. It was terrible news, and she is distressed under its weight. Your honor will not allow you to inquire further, monsieur. I can tell you no more than this, that it is a grief which belongs to but one person on earth, herself. I ask you to help me. Be blind to her unhappiness, monsieur. Believe that it is the distress of the peril through which she has passed. A little later I will tell you all, and you will understand. But it is impossible now. I confide this much in you, I ask you this, because... Pierre's eyes were half-closed, and he looked as though unseeing over Philip's head. I ask you this, he repeated softly, because I have guessed that you love her. A cry of joy burst from Philip's lips. I do, Pierre, I do, I do. I have guessed it, said Pierre. You will help me to save her. Until death. Then you will go with us to Fort of God, and from there you will go at once to your camp on Blind Indian Lake. Philip felt the sweat breaking out over his face. He was still weak. His voice was unnatural and trembled. You know, he gasped. 
"'Yes, I know, monsieur,' replied Pierre. "'I know that you are in charge there, and Jeanne knows. "'We knew who you were before we appointed to meet you on the cliff. "'You must return to your men.' "'Philip was silent. "'For the moment every hope was crushed within him. "'He looked at Pierre. "'The half-breed's eyes were glowing, his haggard cheeks were flushed. "'And this is necessary?' "'It is absolutely necessary, monsieur.' "'Then I will go. "'But first, Pierre, I must know a little more. "'I cannot go entirely blind. "'Do they fear my men at Fort God?' "'No, monsieur.' "'One more question, Pierre. "'Who is Lord Fitzhugh Lee?' "'For an instant Pierre's eyes widened.' They grew black and burned with a strange, threatening fire. He rose slowly to his feet and placed both hands upon Philip's shoulders. For a full minute the two men stared into each other's face. Then Pierre spoke. His voice was soft and low, scarcely above a murmur, but it was filled with something that struck a chill to Philip's heart. "'I would kill you before I would answer that question, monsieur,' he said. "'No other person has ever done for Jeanne and I what you have done. "'We owe you more than we can ever repay. "'Yet if you insist upon an answer to that question, you make of me an enemy. "'If you breathe that name to Jeanne, you turn her away from you forever.' "'Without another word he left the tent.' For many minutes Philip sat motionless where Pierre had left him. The earth seemed suddenly to have dropped from under his feet, leaving him in an illimitable chaos of mind. Gregson had deserted him with almost no word of explanation, and he would have staked his life upon Gregson's loyalty. Under other circumstances his unaccountable action would have been a serious blow, but now it was overshadowed by the mysterious change that had come over Jeanne. A few hours before she had been happy, laughing and singing as they drew nearer to Fort God. Each hour had added to the brightness of her eyes, the gladness in her voice. The change had come with Pierre, and at the bottom of it all was Lord Fitzhugh Lee. Pierre had warned him not to mention Lord Fitzhugh's name to Jeanne, and yet, only a short time before, he had spoken the name boldly before Jeanne, and she had betrayed no sign of recognition or of fear. More than that, she had assured him that she had never heard the name before, that it was not known at Fort God. Philip bowed his head in his hands, and his fingers clutched in his hair. What did it all mean? He went back to the scene on the cliff, when Pierre had roused himself at the sound of the name. He thought of all that had happened since Gregson had come to Churchill, and the result was a delirium of thought that made his temples throb. He was sure, now, of but few things. He loved Jean, loved her more than he had ever dreamed that he could love a woman, and he believed that it would be impossible for her to tell him a falsehood. He was confident that she had never heard of Lord Fitzhugh until Pierre overtook them in their flight from Churchill. He could see but one thing to do, and that was to follow Pierre's advice, accepting his promise that in the end everything would come out right. 
he had faith in Pierre. He rose to his feet and went to the tent flap. An embarrassing thought came to him, and he stopped, a flush of feverish color suddenly mounting into his pale cheeks. He had kissed Jeanne in the chasm, when death thundered in their faces. He had kissed her again and again, and in those kisses he had declared his love. He was glad and yet sorry. The knowledge that she must know of his love filled him with happiness, and yet with it there was the feeling that it would place a distance between him and Jeanne. Jeanne was the first to see him when he came out of the tent. She was sitting beside a small balsam shelter, and Pierre was busy over a fire, with his back turned to them. For a moment the two looked at each other in silence, and then Jeanne came toward him, holding out one of her hands. He saw that she was making a strong effort to appear natural, but there was something in his own face that made her attempt a poor one. The hand that she gave him trembled. Her lips quivered. For the first time her eyes failed to meet his own in their limpid frankness. "'Pierre has told you what happened,' she said. "'It was a miracle, and I owe you my life. I have had my punishment for being so careless.' She tried to laugh at him now, and drew her hand away. "'I wasn't beaten against the rocks like you, but—' "'It was terrible,' interrupted Philip, remembering Pierre's words, and eager to put her at ease. "'You have stood up under it beautifully. I am afraid of after-effects. You must not collapse under the strain now.' Pierre heard his last words, and a smile flashed over his dark face as he encountered Philip's glance. "'It is true, monsieur,' he said. I know of no other woman who would have stood up under such a thing as Jeanne has done. Mon Dieu, when I found a part of the canoe wreckage far below, I thought that both of you were dead. Philip began to feel that he had foolishly overestimated his strength. There was a weakness in his limbs that surprised him, and a sudden chill replaced the fever in his blood. Jeanne placed her hand upon his arm and thrust him gently toward the tent. "'You must not exert yourself,' she said, watching the pallor in his face. "'You must be quiet until after dinner.' He obeyed the pressure of her hand. Pierre followed into the tent, and for a moment he was compelled to lean heavily upon the half-breed. "'It is the reaction, monsieur,' said Pierre. "'You are weak after the fever. If you could sleep—' "'I can—' murmured Philip, dizzily, dropping upon his balsam. "'But, Pierre—' "'Yes, monsieur?' "'I have something to say to you. No questions.' "'Not now, monsieur.' Philip heard the rustling of the flap, and Pierre was gone. He felt more comfortable lying down. Dizziness and nausea left him, and he slept. It was the deep, refreshing sleep that always follows the awakening from fever. When he awoke, he felt like his old self and went outside. Pierre was alone. A blanket was drawn across the front of the balsam shelter, and the half-breed nodded toward it in response to Philip's inquiring glance. Philip ate lightly of the food which Pierre had ready for him. 
When he had finished, he leaned close to him and said, "'You have warned me to ask no questions, and I am going to ask none. But you have not forbidden me to tell you things which I know. I am going to talk to you about Lord Fitzhugh Lee.' Pierre's dark eyes flashed. "'Monsieur!' "'Listen,' demanded Philip. "'I seek your confidence no further. "'But I shall tell you what I know of Lord Fitzhugh Lee "'if it makes us fight. "'Do you understand? "'I insist upon this, "'because you have as good as told me "'that this man is your enemy "'and that he is at the bottom of Jeanne's trouble. "'He is also my enemy. "'And after I have told you why, "'you may change your determination "'to keep me a stranger to your trouble.' If not, well, you can hold your tongue then as well as now. Quickly, without moving his eyes from Pierre's face, Philip told his own story of Lord Fitzhugh Lee, and as he continued a strange change came over the half-breed. When he came to the letters revealing the plot to turn the northerners against his company, a low cry escaped Pierre's lips. His eyes seemed starting from his head. Drops of sweat burst out upon his face. His fingers worked convulsively. Something rose in his throat and choked him. When Philip had done, he buried his face in his hands. For a few moments he remained thus, and then suddenly looked up. Livid spots burned in his cheeks, and he fairly hissed at Philip. "'Monsieur, if this is not the truth, if this is a lie—' He stopped. Something in Philip's eyes told him to go no further. He was fearless, and he saw more than fearlessness in Philip's face. Such men believe when they come together. "'It is the truth,' said Philip. With a low, strained laugh, Pierre held out his hand as a pledge of his faith. "'I believe in you, monsieur,' he said and it seemed an effort for him to speak. "'Do you know what I would have thought if you had told this to Jeanne before I came?' "'No.' "'I would have thought, monsieur, that she threw herself purposely into the death of the big thunder rocks.' "'My God! You mean—' "'That is all, monsieur. I can say no more.' "'Ah! There is Jeanne!' he cried more loudly. Now we will take down the tent and go. Jeanne stood a dozen steps behind them when Philip turned. She greeted him with a smile and hastened to assist Pierre in gathering up the things about the camp. Philip was not blind to her efforts to evade him. He could see that it was a relief to her when they were at last in Pierre's canoe and headed up the river. They traveled till late in the evening and set up Jeanne's tent by starlight. The journey was continued at dawn. Late the following afternoon, the little Churchill swept through a low, woodless country called the White Fox Barren. It was a narrow barren, and across it lay the forest and the ridge mountains. Behind these mountains and the forest, the sun was setting. Above all else there rose out of the gathering gloom of evening a single ridge, a towering mass of rock which caught the last glow of the sun and blazed like a signal fire. The canoe stopped. 
Jeanne and Pierre both gazed toward the great rock. Then Jeanne, who was in the bow, turned her face to Philip, and the glow of the rock itself suffused her cheeks as she pointed over the barren. "'Monsieur Philip,' she said, "'there is Fort of God.'" End of chapter 15 Recording by Roger Moline